The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. We come to you now. We lift up our hands to you in praise and thanksgiving. We love you, Jesus. And I ask that this week's broadcast could be a turning point for many people, both on the internet and live radio, 
Lord, I come praising and worshiping you. You are the mighty God of of eternity, of everlasting. You are Jesus. Thank you, King of kings and Lord of lords. I praise you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We're beginning a new series today on the book of Exodus. I don't know how far we'll go in it, but we're going to spend some time looking at this book of Exodus because it is a book of redemption. There's only one way that we can be saved, and that is to be redeemed. And we are redeemed by the act of God. And we are redeemed by the blood. Redemption only comes through the blood. So we're going to look at this in the Old Testament. And we're going to consider what Moses learned. Now, Moses, I believe, is the only person in Scripture who is spoken about in detail from the time of his birth until the time of his death. And then even extended beyond that, he is spoken of. There's much we want to learn from Moses. Much that we need to follow and obey out of the book of Exodus. For it is the blueprint of salvation that will be worked out in the New Testament and in the book of Revelation. There are very close correlations between Exodus and Revelation, and I'm going to show you those correlations this week. Now, I urge you to share this message with others. I urge you to to subscribe to the YouTube channel and share with others. Now, just a bit of housekeeping before we begin this study and these messages out of the book of Exodus. We're in the last week of July, and we are yet short $1,693.02. That's exactly where we are today. And I want to thank some of you who in these recent days, have contributed, who have given at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Chris, thank you. Mike, thank you. Bill or William, I'm not sure which you go by, but you know who you are. Pam, Tuskegee, Dirk, I want to thank all of you for your contributions in the last few days. It's made all the difference. So we are still short $1,693.02. I'm going to look forward to hearing from you. And you can contact us on the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. And you can give online. And this message and these messages will be available 
both his podcasts and his videos on our webpage. Thank you to our dear brother, Ed Pugh, who does such an awesome job in keeping these things current. You can also write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I'll give you those addresses again at the end of the broadcast. But we're in the last week, and I'm just standing by faith. I am not allowed to go in debt. So I'm standing by faith that we will be on radio next month. We go month to month based on the Lord moving in your hearts to give. So thank you. Thank you. I know you don't give because of me. You give because of Jesus and the word that he presents to you. I treasure you. I'd love to meet each of you personally. I'm eager to meet you. I love you all. God bless you. Redemption. It's what every human person must have. There is no way into the presence of God except by redemption. Redemption by blood. So Moses, his mother, his father, they give birth to him in the land of Egypt, in the land of plenty and provision. But it's very expensive. It'll cost you your life. Now, Pharaoh has decided that he is going to kill all the babies. Sound familiar? The midwives are told that they must murder every baby boy born to the Israelite women. We have now the first pro-life models in Scripture. They knew it would be evil to abort a baby or to murder a baby. And so they refused. Because of that, God honored them and gave them families of their own and gave them children because they were pro-life. Now today, we don't see the judgments of God on the abortionists, but we will. And we will see the blessing of God on the pro-life people who constantly lift up the value of a baby. God treasures a baby. The womb should be the safest place in the world. But in America, in China, in different parts of the world, the womb of a mother is the most dangerous place a baby can be. Because now for Egyptian convenience... The babies are murdered. The Lord was in total opposition to that, and the midwives refused to murder the babies. Pharaoh ordered then that the mothers, the fathers of these babies, these baby boys, they personally must throw these babies into the Nile where they would be consumed by crocodiles. He demanded that they do that 
or lose their lives. Now there was a man in the house of Levi married to a Levite woman. And when she became pregnant, she gave birth to a son. And the scriptures say he was a fine child. He was a beautiful baby. She hid this baby for three months. No crying. No talking about this baby. She didn't know how she would care for him, but she knew for three months she hid this baby until finally the whole family was at risk. She could not throw this baby into the water and either drown it or have it eaten. So she got a papyrus basket made of reeds. She coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed baby in this, in this ark along the bank of the Nile amongst the reeds. Now her, the mother's daughter, Miriam, stood on the bank to watch. I'm sure she was terrified that her baby brother was going to be consumed by the crocodiles. But she watched to see what would happen. They put this baby in the hands of Almighty God, and it was the Lord God of heaven who chose this baby for his own. Now, as he's in this basket, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the Nile to bathe. She sees this basket out in the reeds, and she sent her slave girls to go bring it to her and see what it was. And when she opened the basket, baby was crying and it moved her heart. Now, at once, Miriam approaches this royalty and says, Should I go get a nurse who could care for the baby? This woman could not nurse the baby, and she wanted the baby to be healthy and alive. And so, yes, go get a nurse for this baby. So she ran home and called her mother. And the daughter of Pharaoh said, You nurse this baby, and I'll pay you wages. And when you wean the child, bring him here to the palace as my child. Now, in that day, children were not weaned until the age of five or even six years of age. So this little baby called Moses because she had drawn him out of the water. That's what Moses means, drawn out. This baby was taught by Mama the basic core values that God had taught her. She taught him about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. She taught him all that she could teach him until finally it was time and I'm sure with a heart utterly broken. She took him to Pharaoh's daughter. And he moved from a hut into a palace. And there Moses grew up. And he, we find in scripture, he learned all of the skills of the Egyptians. 
Now, in that day, the Egyptians were very sophisticated in math, in science. They were very sophisticated in writing, in learning. He went to the finest schools Egypt had to offer. He learned warfare. He was a man of bold action. He was a powerful man. He learned defense. He learned to fight. One day, after Moses had grown up, in fact, he was 40 years of age, he was a man's man. He went out to where the Israelites were slave laboring. He watched them in their hard labor, and his heart was broken. And he made a decision that he would rather be with the slaves because he saw a reward from God, rather than to be with the Egyptians. His mother had taught him that the Egyptians were evil, and he had seen it with his own eyes. He saw the wealth, he saw the sophistication, he saw the life of luxury. He probably could have become the next Pharaoh of Egypt. We're told in Hebrews that he turned aside from it. He was not interested. He sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of the Hebrew slaves. He intervenes. And in the process, he kills this this slave driver. The next day, he goes again to look upon his people with compassion and mercy. And he sees an Egyptian, but he doesn't see him hurting the slave. He sees one of the Hebrews beating up a weaker Hebrew. And he steps in and intervenes and says to them, Why are you hurting one another? Well, the man replies, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses' heart is frightened because he knows now it's being talked about. The gossip has spread everywhere, and he knows it's just a matter of time until Pharaoh hears the word. And so he flees. I'm sure in his mind, and we're told this in Scripture, he thought the children of Israel would rally to him, and he would lead a rebellion against the Pharaoh of Egypt. But that's not what happened. I want you to hear this. As he runs... He runs all the way through the desert. And he finally comes to Midian. And there he sits down beside a well. And beside that well, he's exhausted. He's thirsty. And he waits knowing that he has no way of drawing water, but knowing that shepherds will come and he will ask them for a drink. He's still dressed in his Egyptian outfit. 
He was clearly identified as an Egyptian and a wealthy Egyptian, even though now he was not wealthy. He had left all of that behind. It's there. Seven beautiful women come with their sheep. They draw water. They fill the troughs. And then men who are shepherds come and drive the women away and drive the women's flock away. And this angers Moses. It is an injustice. So he stands up and defends these seven women, sisters. Now to see how tough this man is, he drives these men shepherds. We don't know how many. But even one or two or three or four would have been a very tough job for any man. These were not weaklings who were shepherds. They fought bears. They fought lions. They defended their flocks. They defended from thieves as well as the wildlife. Moses stands up. He quickly defeats them all. This man is a fighter. He is powerful. He drives these men away. He brings back. He waves to them, come, come. So they come with their flocks. And now he personally draws the water out of the well. And he waters the sheep. Now as he waters the sheep, the girls, I'm sure, were all admiring this handsome man. But they left him there. They went home to their father. And Ruol, their father, said, Why have you returned so early today? And they they said, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us, and he watered the flock. And Ruol says, Well, where is he? Well, we left him sitting back at the well. Why? Go invite the man to come and eat with us. So they do so. Moses now is the object of great interest to these seven beautiful daughters. I don't know how long it took, but I'm sure Zipporah was making eyes at this man. She was very interested. And somehow in conversation, Daddy decided that he would offer this daughter, this eldest daughter, to Moses as a wife, if he would stay and take care of the sheep. He agreed. She gave birth to a son. She named him Gershom, saying, I've become an alien in a foreign land. Now, let's talk about this just a moment. Moses now has a flock of sheep to care for, but unlike Jacob, who worked 20 years and then was able to build his own herd and his own prosperity, Moses will serve for 40 years as a shepherd to these sheep, and he will not own one of them. 
Now, please understand, God was in this. God cannot use a man who stays in Egypt. Every man who will be used by the Holy Spirit must enter into the school of the Holy Spirit, and he must go to the backside of the desert. He cannot live enjoying the entertainment of Egypt, enjoying the social life and the privilege of Egypt. The Lord must draw him out. And so we find Moses has become an alien in a foreign land. But in the meantime, the king of Egypt dies, and God hears the groaning of his people. And he remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Please, all redemption is based on a covenant. And the covenant must be sealed with blood. Jesus sealed that covenant at the cross. He was the atonement. He didn't do an atonement. He was the atonement. God looked at the Israelites and he was concerned for them. It goes without saying, God is looking at you today and he is concerned about you. He does not want you to violate his covenant He wants you to walk in righteousness before him. He is making eternal decisions about where you will live. Will you live in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of darkness? In chapter 3, we find Moses tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, he's a pagan priest. I want you to remember, he is a pagan. I'll share more as this story goes on. But he took the flock to the far side of the desert, the back side of the desert, to the mountain of God. Please, I want to make this very plain. You cannot serve God until you have been to the backside of the mountain, the backside of the desert. God calls those who would serve him into a place where they are no longer playing to the crowd in Egypt, where pride is dealt with where ambition is cast aside. God cannot use a proud, ambitious man or woman. God cannot use as an instrument of his grace a man filled with self, who loves money and wealth, who sees himself as somebody 
who walks about with something to prove. And I would ask you the very sobering question today, and it will require a great deal of personal understanding. Do you still have something to prove? Do you have something to prove to your mother or to your father? Do you have something to prove to your wife or to your husband? Do you have something to prove to other men or other women? Are you still struggling to somehow gain the recognition, to gain the approval? Are you crippled because you need the approval of somebody? When you go to the far side of the desert, you no longer hear the music of the world. Now, I know many Christian people who refuse to leave Egypt but are in church every week. They love being looked upon as important. They love to have their opinions considered. They love to look at their finances and see how prosperous they are. And they have their plans all laid out. I'll do this by this time, and then at this time I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And they have their life kind of planned out. That's all from Egypt. A man who goes to the backside of the desert no longer hears the music of Egypt. He no longer sees the dance. He no longer has anyone to impress. Now, God chose the perfect place to do this in Moses, but it took 40 years to accomplish this humility in Moses' heart. He was referred to in Scripture as the most humble man. Well, how did he get that way? Well, let's look at it. He has a a flock of sheep that are not his own. Now, what do you do with a flock of sheep? Sheep will not drink, you know, from Psalm 23. They will not drink from running water. You have to dam it up and make it still. Why? Because the sheep are terrified of running water Because if they get in running water and they're knocked down, their wool will become so heavy they'll never be able to get up and they'll drown. The shepherd has to come and rescue them and set them upright on their feet again. Also, sheep are in trouble with flies. The flies come and they come into their nostrils and they lay their eggs and those eggs hatch into worms. And if those worms are not taken care of, they will go into the brain and they will kill that sheep. So the shepherd had to regularly clean out the snot from the sheep's nose. And he had to oil the sheep. The flies would also come on the head of the sheep and lay their eggs there, or they would come on the back. I remember as a boy on the farm. We had farm cats. Even some of them are pets. Little kittens. And suddenly out of the neck would come a like a boil. 
and then it would break open. And then you could see a worm's head in the neck of that kitten. We would have to remove that worm and disinfect that wound. Well, how did they get it? On the farm, on the grass, where the flies had laid their eggs, or their tiny little portions that would be taken in through the mouth, go through the blood system, and come out the neck. Or on a sheep, or a a cow, their back. I've seen a cow with five or six worms in their back, and they have to be treated. They have to be pulled out. And they'll be about an inch long, inch and a half. They're ugly. They're horrid. Well, Moses had to care for the sheep. And that meant cleaning out their nostrils. And that meant pulling out the worms. Now, sheep also stink. When you get the stink of shepherd clothing, hard to remove. I remember as a boy, there was always conflict in Wyoming and Colorado between shepherds and cattlemen. The cattlemen hated the sheep because they would destroy a pasture. They had to constantly be moving them to a new pasture. Well, cattle won't destroy a pasture. And also, the cattle don't stink the way sheep do. So the Egyptians hated shepherds. They would drive them away. Pharaoh would never think of looking for Moses as a shepherd. I'm sure he tried to find Moses. I'm sure he sent assassins to find him. They couldn't find him because Moses now was dressed like a shepherd. And he was a shepherd. Moses year after year, took care of the sheep. Took care of the sheep. He was trained by God in the school of the Holy Spirit to lose all self-confidence. I've spoken to people just recently who have been sick. And they've said to me, I can't do my ministry. I can't do my work. And I've said to them, that's probably a good thing. Because much of your work, I'm sure, has been, like in my life, done out of your own skill and your own flesh. And God cannot use ministry done out of the flesh. The Father, Matthew tells us, at the end of time, is going to pull up every plant that is not planted by the Holy Spirit. So you can go out and do wonderful and great things for God. But in eternal value, it will not count. We have to learn how to leave Egypt. Now, I tell you honestly... I've been in the desert for a long, long time. I've been in the desert more than 40 years because 
I had a great deal of arrogance and pride and self-sufficiency that had to be removed from my heart. And God has been doing that to me. I come recognizing I'm nobody. I come recognizing that I have only what the Holy Spirit has given to me. I come recognizing I can't save anybody. Redemption only comes by the blood, not by a self-sufficient, sophisticated, educated pastor. Salvation does not come from the pastor or the worker or the factory worker or the mechanic or the office worker or the nurse, or the doctor. Salvation comes from Jesus Christ by the blood. So I come in obedience to the word of God, to my heart, to share with you what he's given me as I have prayed and fasted and waited before him for. He gives me the word, and then I come and I share it with you. It's not a popular word, but I'm not looking for a popular word. If I were, I would employ all of the devices and agencies of the modern world marketing campaign. No, I'm interested in people coming and listening to this broadcast who are willing to humble their hearts before God, who are willing to leave behind Egypt and the sophistication of Egypt, and the money of Egypt, and the wickedness of Egypt, and are willing to travel to the far side of the desert, to the mountain of God. This is not an easy transition. Everything within us says we must be successful. You must have your to-do list. You must have your bucket list. You must know that you're being profitable. I've spent many hours in the last week in my prayer chamber reading the word, crying out to God, waiting upon him. And there has been a kernel in my heart that says, Ray, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I answer my heart, I'm waiting on God. Moses went up, later we'll come to this story, he went up Mount Sinai, God called him up, and now he sits and waits. And the scriptures tell us he waited a whole week on the mountain of Mount Sinai without a camping gear, without a way to produce food. He waited for a whole week before God chose to speak to him. Why? Because God had other business. He was settling as he runs the universe. It's we who are the servants. It is we who wait on God. I wait on God. Now, it doesn't seem to the human flesh to be anything of value. 
What's not of value is what you accomplish in Egypt. What is of value is what you receive from the hand of God. And you cannot receive from the hand of God if you do not wait upon the Lord. So, let's say I'm sick. Immediately, should I call the doctor and make an appointment? I'm not against doctors. They do a wonderful service for many people. They also do much harm. But now I'm faced with a question. Do I immediately make an appointment with the doctor and go see him and take his drugs? Or do I go to my prayer closet and in the pain of my situation cry out to God and wait upon him? I would much rather suffer the pain of my condition and wait upon God than run to the doctor and pretend that he has the answer in his pill bottle. God is my healer. We'll look at that later in the scriptures. There is ample evidence that the atonement of Jesus contains within it the healing for a man or woman who will wait upon God. I spoke with a person this last week. They're in a dire situation. They've prayed, and they've prayed, and they've prayed, and there's no answer. Finally, they said, I have to go to a doctor. Well, how long do you wait on God? Before you bail out and say, look, I've got to have this taken care of. I have a life to live. I have a ministry to do. What I do is important with my family. Oh, you're thinking like an Egyptian. You're not thinking like a Christian. Have you ever waited on God for anything? Or have you made your own deliverance and your own plans and gone about your life? And just basically say, yes, I pray, but God doesn't answer, so I have to go do it myself. God helps those who help themselves. There has never been a greater lie. God does not help them, help those who help themselves. He leaves. He leaves them to their own devices and to their own flesh. Is God real? Yes! Is Jesus who he says he is? Yes! Does he care about you? Yes! Is he concerned about you? Yes! What does he want from you? He wants you to leave Egypt. He wants you to turn off the television. He wants you to turn off the entertainment. He wants you to turn off the lust for food. We eat way, way, way too much food. So we have high insulin levels. We become fat and heavy. Why? Because we eat too much. We lust after the satisfaction for the flesh of the sugars of the food. 
frankly, we eat way too much protein, way too many carbohydrate, carbohydrates, and way too much sugar. Sugar is addictive. If you were to say, okay, for the next two weeks, I will eat no sugar. I will eat nothing that has sugar in it. I will eat small portions of protein. I will eat small portions of carbohydrates once a day. What? Really? What do you think Moses ate on the far side of the desert? He didn't eat gourmet meals out there, I'll assure you. You see, it's it's when we begin to walk away from the pleasures and the murders, the oppression, the wickedness of Egypt. And when we walk away or run away and we go to the far side of the mountain where the mountain of God is, when we go to the far side of the desert, God will meet us. He has met me time after time. I operate according to his word and his will. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? You have to make a decision. You cannot be redeemed and live in Egypt and enjoy the pleasures of Egypt. God always calls his people out of Egypt and into the desert. Now that's what he did. Moses now is on the backside of the mountain. He has spent 40 years being humbled by God. He has spent 40 years not building his own empire, his own kingdom. He spent 40 years not building his own wealth and his own retirement. Some of you, I love you, but I've got to say this. Some of you build up your retirement account and you plan to go travel and fulfill your bucket list of all the things you want to do. That's an Egyptian's plan. Never forget after my wife Jan passed, a very wealthy woman approached me. And she said to me, if you'd be willing to travel with me, we could be married. And I have plenty of money. And I'll pay all of the expenses. I have a house. I have new cars. I'm very wealthy. And all you have to do is come and be a pleasant companion to me as we travel the world. I said to her, No, I'm sorry. I can't do that. It would have been a, a wonderful journey. But where would it have taken me? It would have taken me to the very heart of Egypt. And there would have been no redemption for me. 
and I'm not interested in Egypt's wealth. I'm not interested in Egypt's prosperity. I'm interested in the mountain of God. I'm interested in the word of Jesus Christ. I don't want to participate in the wickedness of this world. Now, I'm not saying you should never travel. I have traveled to Israel. I have traveled to Europe, to Weimar, Switzerland, for a month of study under the great theologian Francis Schaeffer, and then had time to tour Switzerland and France, Luxembourg, Iceland. I enjoyed every moment of it, but I was not there simply for pleasure. I was there because Jesus sent me. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? You think your responsibility is to take care of your family? Okay. You're a good Egyptian. Your responsibility is to take care of Jesus in the kingdom of God, and he said he would take care of your family. That if you would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he would give you the things the pagans run after, a house to live in, clothing to wear, food to eat, transportation. He will give you the things that he knows already that you need, but you must first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You can only do that on the far side of the mountain, on the far side of the desert, at the mountain of God. We're coming into a time when God is going to come in mighty power with revival, and he's going to bring deep conviction of sin. I pray this message will help you begin that journey. Your lifestyle must be altered. You cannot live for yourself and have the benefit of the redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ. You must separate yourself from the pagan world. You must separate yourself from Egypt. And you must have in view the same thing Moses had in view, which was the promised land. You must have in view the same thing Moses had in view, and that is the glory of belonging to the Lord God of heaven and an eternal home in glory. All the money you spend needs to be for the building of the kingdom of God, loving others, giving to the poor. Yes, loving and caring and Jesus for your family, for your wife, for your husband, but the primary focus is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is close, and then he said, it's among you, and now the kingdom of God is here. And we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not thy will be done just in my life to prosper me, but thy will be done in my life. 
so that I can bring the kingdom of God upon the earth. Well, we're out of time. You can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Some of you can only give 5 or 20 or $10. Others of you can give 1000 5000 10000 Whatever the Holy Spirit prompts you to give, would you give? We are still short for the month of July, $1,693.02. The money will go to pay for the radio broadcast. Thank those of you who've already given. I've named you at the beginning of the broadcast. You can also go to our webpage or to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give there, or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Please make your check out to the National Prayer Chapel and just put a note, Pilgrim's Progress. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you today. I hope this message has helped you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.